0: If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Many people in our world today are fascinated by angels. There have been a Many movies and TV shows with a focus on angels, like *Touched by an Angel*. If you ever saw that TV show, or *Angels in the Outfield*, that kind of corny movie with angels and baseball. Uh, *It's a Wonderful Life* has a angel trying to gain its wings. Cupid, uh, the Heavenly Kid, and you know those examples focus on what a lot of people think of when they think of angels. What they think uh, angels actually do. Many people think that angels come in you know the form of humans, and and they're there to help people, and and that's kind of really what the focus of the uh, TV show Touched by an Angel is. You know, an angel is taking the form of human, helping people. It's also, uh, it's a wonderful life. It's what the angel does to get his wings, is help people. And, you know, many people also take this picture of an angel as like, well, they, they sometimes take the form of humans, but more often they're kind of behind the scenes. You can't really see them, but they're still there trying to help. And that's kind of uh, the idea of angels in the outfield. And many people think that angels are are there to help people fall in love. You know, and that's where the movie Cupid comes along. And, you know, that's one of the most common views of an angel is this little fat naked baby with wings with a bow and arrow that shoots love hearts at people and, you know, causes them to fall in love. Uh, many people also think of angels as, as someone who guards you. And then that's what the, the heavenly kid's all about. And, and that's a very common thought among people of we all have this guardian angel looking out for us. And so, you know, in our world today, I think there's, there's quite a, a fascination with angels and interest in angels and uh, people have different thoughts of what they're like, different thoughts about what they do. And some of those things come from the Bible, like angels helping people. And a lot of the other thoughts that we have today, they they don't come from the Bible. You know, the thought of Cupid is definitely not a, a biblical one. And you know, surveys have shown, unfortunately, that when it comes to the topic of angels among Christians, as these surveys have gone out to Christians, just kind of asking them uh, their understanding of you know what the Bible says about angels, you know, the surveys have shown that people have you know kind of more knowledge from movies and TV shows about angels than they do about the Bible, and so their concept of angels isn't really very biblical. They kind of just have bits and pieces of what the Bible reveals, and the problem with that is it brings up this kind of unbiblical and sometimes very damaging view of angels, which can lead to um, something that was taking place in the early church It's something that we even see in our day today, and that's an ungodly exaltation of angels. You know, some people back in the time that this letter was written, you know, they placed angels in a place that they didn't belong. They exalted them up to a place they didn't belong. And it's something that Paul, when he's writing to the Colossians, he addresses this heresy that in the early church was kind of spreading through the Christians there. And he says this in Colossians 2.18, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his flesh by his fleshly mind. Now, the book of Hebrews was written quite close to the time that the book of Colossians was written. And so, you know, the churches at the time in the world of that time, you know, a lot of believers were struggling with this unbiblical view of angels, which ultimately exalted angels to a place they didn't belong and typically at the same time demoted Jesus to a place he didn't belong and there's kind of that that reality that often happens is when you exalt someone ultimately to the place that only God is supposed to be at. Because you exalt him to a place of worship, you typically are demoting the one who truly deserves the worship to a place that he does not belong. Now, the reason I've shared these things about angels is because the recipients of this letter uh, to the Hebrews, this is something that it seems that they had a struggle with, a, an unbiblical perspective, an unbiblical view of angels that caused them to uh, elevate and uh, promote angels and also demote Jesus. And the To correct this unbiblical thinking, the the author of Hebrews, he's going to do something that he did last week as well when he looked at Jesus being greater than prophets. Now he's going to look at Jesus being greater than angels. Now when you look at what the Bible tells us about angels, about their role, especially among the Jews of the Old Testament, most of which in the early church, you know, there were predominant amount of Jews in the early church, they had a real high view of angels. And when you see you know, the significant role that angels played within Judaism, you can understand why people would have such a high view of angels, and then the temptation to elevate them to an even higher place than they actually belong. And so before we jump into what Hebrews here reveals about Jesus being greater than angels, I just want to do a quick overview of some things that the Bible reveals about the nature. nature. Nature and the function of angels, so that we can kind of have a better idea of why these Hebrew believers kind of had this problem in exalting angels, but also why the author takes the time to show why Jesus is greater than these angelic beings. Now, the Bible actually has a lot to say about angels. In the Old Testament, there's 108 direct references to angels. And in the New Testament, there's 165 references to angels. And so, uh, as you could probably imagine, we don't have time to look at all the things that the Bible says about angels. But what I do want to share are some important things about the nature of angels and also the function of angels. And as you can see from the slide, I put some verses next to each point that I'm going to make right here, but I'm not going to read those. That's just for your uh, knowledge that you can take time to read those on your own at another time. But as you can see, you know there's a lot of verses that deal with these different things uh, about the nature of angels and the function of angels. And so when it comes to the nature of angels, the first thing that's important to note is that angels are created by God. They don't create anything. They are a created being. They had a start, so they didn't exist always. They had a start where God created them, so that's something important to note. They are spirit beings, but as we see throughout Scripture, that they do have the ability to take human form as well. They have names. Uh, we don't see very, a uh, lot of names in the Bible. We do have names like Michael, the Archangel, Gabriel, who comes to Mary, uh, and even before he fell, Lucifer uh, was uh, the name of Satan. Um, there are different positions of rank. You know, we have Archangel, we have Cherub, uh, and we have Seraphim. Uh, we have a reality that there are higher positions and lower positions, and so certain angels, you know, have a different position of rank than others. Um, and something interesting with the thought of positions is angels in the order of creation actually have a greater position than humans. Psalm 8 tells us that humans were created a little lower than the angels. Angels do not marry. They don't procreate. And as far as we know, they don't die. There's no scriptures that tell us uh, that angels die, but we definitely know they don't marry. Uh, Jesus reveals this, you know, they, they don't procreate, which is very different than humans. God just created two, Adam and Eve, and then said, you know, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so, you know, everybody kind of came from them, whereas with angels, God created all of them at once. Uh, And so there's kind of that that difference with that as well. Um, We also only have reference to angels being men in the Bible. Uh, So, you know, the likelihood is, you know, they are all male. Uh, Another part of the nature of angels is they possess great intellect and will and emotions like we do, but uh, they're much more powerful than we are. One-third of the angels led by Satan, they fell, they rebelled against God, and now ultimately that group has a a fallen nature and will be uh, judged because of it, and uh, they're going to be judged for eternity in hell. So those are the main things that the Bible tells us concerning the the nature of angels. But we're also told a lot about their function. Okay, well, what's their purpose? What is it that they do? One of the main functions of angels is they bring revelation from God to mankind. You know, and we think of like Gabriel coming down and telling Mary that she's going to, you know, have baby Jesus and we you know, think of all those angels revealing to the shepherd that, you know, Jesus was about to be born and bringing a revelation from God, but something more significant especially to Jewish uh, believers who came out of Judaism was the impact that angels had With regard to the law of Moses, because the law of Moses, obviously, in Judaism is something super, super important. Well, Galatians 3.19 and Acts 7.53 reveal the uh, role that angels have in that. And it says in Galatians 3.19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Acts 7.53, who has received uh, the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And so one of the specific roles of angels was they had this role of getting the law to the nation of Israel. Another function of angels is they are instruments of God's judgment. You know, especially throughout the Old Testament, you read of different times where angels came down. Probably the most famous one is the angel of death. You know, in Exodus, where the angel of death comes and kills uh, the firstborn in that tenth plague in Egypt. Uh, Isaiah's reign, um, well, during the time of Isaiah, should I say, an angel killed 165,000 enemy soldiers of Israel in one night. Uh, In Revelation, God's going to send angels during the tribulation to bring great judgment of God upon the earth. And so they're agents of judgment as well. Another function is a more positive one is they, they help God's people. If you remember Daniel, he's thrown into the lion's den and the reason that the lions don't gobble him up is because an angel is sent to shut the lion's mouths. In Acts, we see the apostles, and we also see a different time Peter delivered from prison specifically because an angel was sent to do that for them. Uh, We're told also in Acts that an angel watched over Paul as he was shipwrecked and made sure that he was taken care of. Uh, And so, you know, they help the people of God. Another function of angels is they take joy in people getting saved. You know, a wonderful verse in Luke's gospel is, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. You know, and this is just a wonderful thought when, you know, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the angels of heaven rejoiced over that because, you know, they take stock in us and they're so blessed by us believing in Jesus. And probably one of the most important functions of all that angels do is they worship God. You know, you see this throughout the scriptures, but probably the most vivid and powerful picture is in Revelation where you see around the throne angels constantly in worship to Jesus Christ because he is the only one worthy of it. And so as you can see, the, the nature of angel, the, the function of angel, you know, they're quite impressive beings. You know, what they're able to do and how God created them. You can see why as people, especially Jews, you see their impact on the law of Moses would say, wow. You know, they are so important, and they start to elevate them to an importance even greater than God had given them to this place where now we're going to worship them, and now we're going to pray to them, and now we're going to put them in a place that really only Jesus belongs, and in doing so, we are promoting angels and at the same time demoting Jesus from the place He is supposed to be. Now, the fact that the author of Hebrews spends so much of time on this, the whole rest of chapter one is devoted to Jesus being greater than the angels and giving these different Old Testament passages to prove that, I think gives credence to the reality that these believers who received this letter were struggling with exalting angels to a place that they did not belong. Now, as we looked at last week, one of the biggest problems with the recipients of this letter is they were Uh, contemplating leaving Jesus, leaving Christianity, and going back into... Judaism. And the thing that was really motivating that thought process was the fact that they were being persecuted for following Jesus, and they really weren't being persecuted when they were just in Judaism. So they're thinking, you know what? It was kind of nicer back then when all this persecution wasn't coming our way, and maybe we should just go back to doing the things that we used to do in Judaism and kind of just leave Jesus, leave Christianity, because it's brought a lot of persecution in our lives. And so the author of Hebrews wants them to realize, well, wait a second, that's a huge mistake, because Jesus is so much greater than anything that you would go back into, and that's really, as we looked at the outline of Hebrews last week, what the author is kind of really focusing on. There's three main areas in which he emphasizes the greatness of Jesus over what these people are thinking of going back to. He starts with, Jesus is a greater person than any person in Judaism. Then he moves on to Jesus is a greater priest than any priest in Judaism. And then finally, that Jesus has a greater purpose in life and the ability to help us accomplish what He has for us than anyone in Judaism. Now last week we started looking at the first thing the author deals with, that Jesus, Jesus is a greater person than any person in Judaism. And he starts with some of the greatest people that they would think of, the prophets. You know, all these great prophets from you know Isaiah you know Jeremiah Ezekiel Daniel whoever it may be Jesus is greater than them and he shared seven reasons why Jesus is greater than the prophets and now he's just going to move right along and say it's even more he's even greater because he's not only greater than the prophets he's also greater than the angels and that is going to be the focus of what we look at this morning in the remainder of Hebrews chapter one. Now, the way that the author of Hebrews is going to reveal how Jesus and why Jesus is greater than angels is he's going to use seven Old Testament passages. Now, remember, you know, these, as we looked at, you know, we looked at the introduction of the book, these are people who have a Jewish background. These are people who were very familiar with the Old Testament and says, Hey, I'm going to use the Old Testament to help you to see why Jesus is greater than angels. And I'm going to use seven Old Testament passages in order to do that. And as he uses these seven passages, he's going to reveal to us five reasons why Jesus is greater than angels. Now, knowing why Jesus is greater than angels is, is something that's not just important for the readers then, but also for us now today. You know, the promotion of angels and the demotion of Jesus is still something that happens today. I'm sure you've had people come to your door because there are two of the biggest cults here in America and across the world, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, and they, you know, I'm sure most of us have had some kind of interaction with either of those groups, but both of them demote Jesus from His rightful place as the one true God. They put Jesus in the lower place, really, of an angel instead of the greater place of God. Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus Christ was Michael the archangel. Mormons teach that Jesus was the brother of Lucifer, who was also an angel. And so they're demoting Jesus to this kind of angelic place when he should be in the one place of the one true God. You know, I think that's one of the great tactics of Satan. He wants to demote Jesus, even if it's just slightly. If he can demote Jesus from what he truly is, he has so many more uh, ways in which to destroy our lives. If Jesus isn't God, he's not Savior. If Jesus isn't God, he couldn't do all the things that Scripture says. So if you just can demote him a little bit, it doesn't even have to be huge. It doesn't even have to to deny his existence, which he also does. But sometimes it's just, I just want to demote him in your eyes so then I can start to destroy the foundation of which you believe. And this is something we're bombarded with in our world today, and that's why we need to be reminded of just how great Jesus is. So we're going to see five reasons why Jesus is greater than angels. And the first reason we see in verses 4 and 5, and it says this, Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So the author of Hebrews starts off telling us Jesus is so much better than angels. And then he goes into his first reason why Jesus is better than angels and he says the reason is because Jesus has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than the angels. And then he says, all right, I'm going to use the Old Testament. I'm going to quote two Old Testament passages to kind of uh, back up my point here of, of what I'm trying to communicate to you. Um, and he first says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You will be my son, today I have begotten you? Then he quotes another passage, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so the first passage he quotes is Psalm 2, 7. And the second passage he quotes is 2 Samuel seven fourteen. And the point that he's trying to make with these two Hebrew quotes is that God the Father gives Jesus a name that he does not give to angels. And that's why he starts with this question. To which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son. And the answer is, none of them. God never gave that title. God never declared that to angels. He never said to them, you are my son. They don't have that privileged name. There's only one person who has that privileged name, and that is Jesus. You see, God gave Jesus the greatest and most intimate name that a father can give to a child, and that is the name son or daughter. You know, anybody who's a parent right now, you know, there is only one or two or three or four or however many kids you have that have the privileged name and title that you call them son or you call them daughter, and no one else in the entire world do you give that name to. Would you say that to? Because no one else fits in that privileged category. I only have two. Two daughters are the only people in the entire world that I'm gonna say you're my daughter to. I might call you a friend, I might call you a coworker, I might call you an acquaintance, I might call you something else. But guess what? Nobody in the entire world except those two little girls are ever gonna be called my daughter. Because that's a privileged place, a privileged role, a privileged relationship that only the father and the child have. And that is what's taking place with Jesus. He's the only one who gets the privileged title of Son of God. Angels do not have that title because they are not in that same category of person. They do not have that same relationship with God. Now we're also told that the father said of Jesus today I have begotten you. Now this is important this word begotten speaks of equality of substance and essential nature between the father and the son. It's speaking of the fact that they share the same being. So it's not that you know there's God the father and then there's a separate being, God the Son. No, they're the same being. This is what we talk about when we talk about the Trinity. You know, one God and, and three persons. The Father and the Son are the same being. And so ultimately, as the Father calls Jesus the Son of God, He's saying that because Jesus is God. And He doesn't call angels His Son because angels are not God. So the first reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is because Jesus is God and the angels are not. I mean, really, that should be all the reason that you need. Uh, Why is Jesus greater? He's God. Angels aren't. Okay, that solves it. That ends it. He's going to give four more reasons than this, but this is one of the most powerful of, of look who is God and look who isn't God. Now, I think this was very important for these readers to understand because as they're considering leaving Judaism or are we leaving Jesus and going back to Judaism? One of the things that would make departing Jesus a lot easier is if they were to demote him from his God status. You see, if Jesus is God, then whatever you leave is far less than Jesus because everything's less than God. So it's pretty difficult to depart from Jesus uh, if you don't demote him. And so that's what Satan loves to do. If I can demote Jesus in the eyes of someone, it becomes far easier for that person to depart Jesus, especially if I can promote something above him. And then all of a sudden they will follow what they promote and they will stop following what they demote, which is Jesus. And that's a tactic that he uses so often in the world today and unfortunately is very successful in that He wants to lessen Jesus in our eyes. Something important to understand is to exalt angels or anything else to a place above Jesus would be considered, biblically, idolatry. Anything that's above Jesus is idol worship. And to demote Jesus to a place below angels would be blasphemy. And hopefully we don't want to be guilty of either of those things. So the first reason why Jesus is greater than angels is because Jesus is God and the angels are not. The second reason we see in verse 6, which says this, but when he again brings up the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So here the author speaks of God the Father bringing Jesus forth as the firstborn into the world. Now, the term here firstborn was not just a word to describe the birth order of someone to say, okay, you're the firstborn, and then you're the secondborn, and then you're the thirdborn. You know, in Scripture, there are times when it's used in that chronological way, but this had a much deeper meaning, uh, especially in the Jewish culture. You know, someone who was firstborn was given a position of great honor, and this was not always because they were firstborn chronologically. You know, we see it starting with Jacob, it moves on to David. Remember, David is the last born of you know, his brothers. Jacob is the second born. Ephraim is the second born. God speaks to all of them with this term of they are the first born, not saying chronologically they were born first because they weren't, but they hold this position of honor and I'm going to bless them because of it. So when the author of Hebrews is referring to Jesus as the firstborn, he is speaking of this position of honor that Jesus has because he is God. And I think that's clearly seen in the reference that is used from Deuteronomy 32, 43, which says, let all the angels of God worship him. This is the reason why. Well, why should they worship him? Well, because he's God. Because he's the firstborn in this place of great honor. So the author of Hebrews is quoting Deuteronomy 32 to show angels worship Jesus, not vice versa. Jesus does not worship angels. Actually, Jesus doesn't worship anything because there's nothing greater than him to worship. He is the object of worship. He never worships anything else. You know, we see the angels worshiping Jesus at his birth. We see a a powerful example of angelic worship in Revelation 5. 11 and 12 says this, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and elders, and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. The angels of heaven worship Jesus. Why? Because He's greater than them. He's the only one worthy of worship. So the second reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is because Jesus is worshiped by the angels and does not worship them or anything else. Something important to understand is the thing that is worshiped is always greater than the worshiper. And that's just a concept that we need to have uh, in our mind here. And this is what Hebrews, the author is trying to build up for us, is that the thing that is worshipped is always greater than the worshipper. Jesus is worshipped by angels, which clearly reveals he is greater than the angels that worship him. Now, the reality is each one of us will worship what we believe is greater than anything else. And you can see that in the world today. You've got those who worship Buddha because they think he's the greatest. Those who worship Allah because they think he's the greatest. Those who worship themselves because they think he's the greatest. As believers in Jesus Christ, we worship Jesus. Why? Because he is the greatest. And that's why we place our worship upon him. And you can see in your life what you really see about Jesus. Who is great to you? You just look at your worship. What you worship will determine who you really determine and deem as greatest in your life. And maybe with your mouth you say it's Jesus, and maybe with your actions you're declaring it's something different. But you know what? It's so important for us to see that Jesus is greater than anything else because if we don't see Jesus as greater than anything else, we're not going to worship Him in the way that we should. We're not going to worship Him in the way in which He deserves to be worshiped. And the fact that Jesus worships nothing reveals there's nothing greater than him. That's why he doesn't worship anything else because he is at the top. Everything below him worships him because he's the greatest. The angels, they know this. Every time in scripture you see someone bow to an angel or seek to try to worship an angel, they stop it right away. Do not worship me. I'm not the one worthy of it. You worship Jesus. He's the only one worthy of worship. So the first reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is Jesus is God, the angels are not. The second reason is because Jesus is worshipped by the angels and does not worship them or anything else. The third reason why Jesus is greater is seen in verses 7-9, through and they say this. And of the angels, He says, Who makes His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So here the author of Hebrews quotes two more scriptures to make this third point of why Jesus is greater than angels. And he's quoting Psalm 104.4 and Psalm 45.6 and 7. And the main point he's trying to make with these two passages is that Jesus is the king and the angels are Jesus' subjects. In Psalm 104, we're told, "...who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire?" Notice that the angels are Jesus's. It's his angels. These angels are subject to Jesus. They are his ministers or or his servants. So this is clearly revealing that angels are Jesus's servants, that angels are the subjects of Jesus. And the quote from Psalm 45 reveals why angels are subject to Jesus, why they are servants under Jesus. It says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This psalm is revealing that Jesus is the everlasting King. Notice some of the, the, the terms that are only used with kings. Throne, scepter, kingdom, anointing of oil. All those things through the Old Testament are reference to kings. Kings are anointed with oil. Kings sit on thrones. Kings hold a scepter. Kings have a kingdom. This is all speaking of Jesus' kingship. He is the king on the throne forever. He's holding the scepter of righteousness. He is the one ruling over his kingdom. He is the king who's been anointed with the oil of gladness, and he's the greatest king of all because he loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness. So the author of Hebrews uses these two Psalms to reveal that Jesus is this eternal king, and the angels are his subjects. And the point is, hey, kings are always viewed as greater than their subjects. The king is the greatest, the subjects are beneath him. And he's just using that common logic of showing Jesus is greater because he is in that position of king and they are in the position of subjects. Ken Hughes wrote this, it's impossible to logically think of Christ and angels as peers any more than we could of a sovereign and his slaves as equals. And that's just the reality. I mean, we would never come, especially in the times of kings, you, know, you would never say, oh yeah, the king is equal to his slaves. You know, no, the king is greater. You know, everybody would think that. Everyone would come to that conclusion. So the third reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is because Jesus is the eternal King and the angels are his subjects. To leave Jesus, the King, in order to follow his subjects, angels, would be to leave what is greater in order to follow what is lesser. And this is kind of the dilemma that the the readers of the Hebrews and many people today who exalt angels are in then. Well, I am leaving what is greater Jesus ultimately to follow something that is less than Him. And sadly, too many people have removed Jesus from the throne of their lives ultimately to follow something less than Him. And there are many believers that I've talked with over the years and they get into this place where Jesus is no longer on their throne. He's no longer the one that is king of their life. They've put something else there. And you see it in what they're following. You see it in what they're pursuing. He's not the king. Something else has taken that position. And if that's you this morning, you need to go back to following Jesus because you have taken what is greatest and settled for something less. It's far greater to follow Him. Matthew Bridges, who wrote the hymn, crown him with many crowns. I love the words of this hymn. I'm just going to read a couple stanzas because I think it's a great encouragement to us of how our view of Jesus as King should be. It says this, Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of Him who died for Thee and hail Him as the matchless King through all eternity. Crown Him the Lord of heaven, throne in worlds above. Crown Him the King to whom is given the wondrous name of love. Crown Him with many crowns, as thrones before Him fall. Crown Him, ye kings, with many crowns, for He is King of all. Jesus is the one King over everyone else. And He deserves our allegiance, even when we're persecuted. Even when life's difficult, especially because of following Jesus, He's still the King, and He still deserves our allegiance. And this group of people who's thinking, "You know, maybe we should walk away from the kingship of Jesus because we're being persecuted. No, it doesn't work that way. You don't leave the allegiance to the King of kings who is higher and greater than any king ever was or ever will be. So the first reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is he is God and they are not. The second reason is he is worshipped by the angels and it does not worship them or anything else. The third reason is Jesus is the eternal king and the angels are his subjects. The fourth reason is in verses 10 through 12, which says this. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. So here the author of Hebrews takes two more Old Testament passages to make another point. He's quoting Psalm 102, uh, 27, uh, 25 to 27. And he wants to make this important point of the fact that Jesus is the eternal creator. And notice what he says. Ultimately, Jesus is the one who has laid the foundation of the earth. You know, this is speaking of Jesus, the one who created everything. The heavens are the work of Jesus' hands. Why? Because he created them. And notice that Jesus is eternal, unlike his creation. There's this contrast. Creation will perish, but Jesus will remain. He's not going to perish. Creation will grow old like a garment, But Jesus doesn't. He stays the same, and his years will not fail. Now, there's something interesting as well that's spoken of here in this psalm, and that's the fact that it's alluding to the fact that Jesus is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, which the book of Revelation clearly reveals will happen. But notice we're told, like a cloak, Jesus will fold up creation, and creation will be changed by Jesus. Charles Spurgeon wrote this about this verse. Time impairs all things. The fashion becomes obsolete and passes away. The visible creation, which is like the garment of the invisible God, is becoming old and wearing out. And our great king is not so poor that he must always wear the same robes. Before long, he will fold up the worlds and put them aside as worn out vestures. And he will array himself in new attire, making a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. How readily will all this be done? You will replace them like clothing, and they will be set aside. As in the creation, so in the restoration, omnipotence shall work its way without hindrance. Now the point of what this author of Hebrews is making here with Psalm 102 is that Jesus is the eternal creator of everything, which includes the creation of angels. So think how foolish it would be to think that something created is greater than that which created it. For example, to think the Mona Lisa was greater than its creator, Leonardo da Vinci. If there was no Leonardo da Vinci, guess what? There'd be no Mona Lisa. You know, the creator is greater than that which he created. The fourth reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is Jesus is the eternal creator and the angels are his creation. And this is an obvious one. Jesus is obviously greater if He's the Creator and they are the ones that He created. I mean, How could you ever come to the conclusion that the created being is greater than the one that created them? But the readers of this letter are struggling with that reality. They're going to be leaving Jesus the Creator for something far less. An angelic being that He created. And this is something that Satan tries to get people to do. He wants us to serve and worship God What Jesus created, instead of serving and worshiping the Creator, Jesus. Romans chapter 1, Paul writing, he addresses this problem that exists in the world today. He says this in Romans 1, 24 and 25. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When people exchange the truth of God, of who He is, of what He's done, for a lie, the result is that they are going to start to worship and serve something inferior to who God is. And so they're going to start to worship and serve the creature, the created thing, instead of the Creator Himself. And how foolish we are if we choose to serve and worship something God creates instead of God Himself. How silly it is, and that so many people are guilty of that, of worshiping what God created, instead of worshiping the Creator of those things. Now, something else interesting to note about Psalm 102 is that this is a psalm of prayer. And it's really written as someone who's afflicted, someone who's been persecuted, if you read that whole psalm, it starts off just kind of listing all the things that the author has been inflicted by and persecuted in and going through. And then it gets to a point where all of a sudden, as he's just sharing all this, he's kind of, man, I could die. And then it transitions to this recognition of the eternal creator. And it changes everything as perspective. He sees that, you know, God, you're going to exist forever. Even though all these things are coming, even though all this stuff is bad, there's an encouragement of who God is as creator, encouragement of his power and encouragement of these things. Even though he's going through this persecution, this understanding of who God is encourages him. And so I think that the author of Hebrews is not just trying to make another point of why Jesus is greater than angels, which is a good thing that he does, but also this psalm should encourage you guys because you guys are being persecuted. And you need to be reminded of who Jesus is. Just like that author recognizing that God is this eternal creator, you seeing that in Jesus should encourage you and help you. know He can get you through whatever it is you're going through. And He can do that for you and I as well. So the first reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is He is God and they are not The second reason, Jesus is worshipped by angels and does not worship them or anything else. The third reason, Jesus is the eternal king and angels are his subjects. The fourth reason, Jesus is the eternal creator and the angels are his creation. And the fifth and final reason that the author uses to defend the idea that Jesus is greater than angels is at the end of this chapter. Verses 13 and 14 says this. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now for the seventh and final time the author quotes one more Old Testament passage to help make his point that Jesus is greater than angels and he's quoting Psalm 110 verse 1 and he asks a great question that's what the psalmist is asking. To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? When did God ever say that to the angels? The answer is, he never did. He never made this statement to the angels. God never told any angel that they could sit at his privileged right hand at the throne of God. Because there's only one person worthy to sit on the throne. There's only one person deserving of being at the right hand of the Father, and that is Jesus, the Son of God. So he never said to any angel, Hey, you can come sit here. You can come be at my throne. You deserve it. Look at all you've done. You're worthy of it. No, none of them are worthy. There's only one worthy, and that is Jesus Christ. But notice the author of Hebrews then poses his own question after quoting Psalm 110. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So here's another contrasting thought. Jesus, he's seated on the throne of God and the angels he has sent out to minister upon or for himself. But notice there's no seats for the angels around the throne of God because they're a busy servant. They're out doing the will of God. They're not meant to be sitting in a place of ruling authority. They're meant to be servants doing what the ruler tells them to do. And so Jesus, he can sit on the throne because he's God. He's the ruler of everything. But the angels, they are his servants and they are the ones that Jesus is sending out to serve him. You see, the ruler who has the authority over his servants is always greater than the servants who are being sent out by that ruler. So the fifth reason why Jesus is greater than the angels is because Jesus is the ruler and the angels are his servants. This is another thing in this list of reasons why Jesus is greater than the angels. Angels are the servants of Jesus who do his will, not the ruler over Jesus who Jesus has to do their will. Now, it would be extremely foolish to leave the ruler in order to follow the servant. To leave the one who's greater in order to follow the one who is lesser. But with each point, that's ultimately where he's leaving the reader with. Are you willing to abandon the greatness of Jesus for something far less than who he is? Now, something important to note is because Jesus is the ruler of heaven, he doesn't have to serve. He's in that position. He, he can, you know, just command everyone to do whatever. He could just stay seated on that throne because he is the ruler. The angels, on the other hand, they don't get that option. They don't get to say, you know what? I just like to sit on the, the throne for a day. I'd like to just send someone else out to do the serving. I'd like to send someone else out to do the work. No, they don't have a choice because they were created for service. Jesus is the ruler. He's the only one who has the authority and the power and the ability to say, I'll stay seated on the throne because I'm the ruler of everything. And this is why I bring it up, because the reality is Jesus chose to serve. He didn't have to. He was perfectly within his rights to stay ruling from his throne, but he says, I'm going to lead my throne, and I'm going to come to earth, and I'm going to come there to serve. I'm going to make a choice to serve. I'm going to do it because of my love for mankind Matthew 20 verse 28 says just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and notice how and to give his life a ransom for many Jesus left the throne of heaven made that choice to say I'm going to leave this ruling power this ruling position and I'm going to become like my creation I'm going to become a man and I'm going to be there to serve with the ultimate service of sacrifice. I'm going to give my life on the cross as a ransom for many. But notice also, not only does Jesus love us so much that He came to serve us, He also says, those who I rule, they're going to serve you as well. I'm sending my angels to serve you. He sends angels to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Well, guess what? Anybody who put their faith in Jesus Christ, you inherited salvation. And that means those angels have been sent to minister to you. Now, as amazing as angels are, as we've looked at their nature, as we looked at their function, as we see while wow, they are some amazing creatures that God created, as great as they are, they do not compare to Jesus. He is far greater than they are. And the author of Hebrews just gives us five reasons he could have given us more. Five very convincing reasons of why Jesus is so much greater than angels. First, because Jesus is God, the angels are not. <clears throat> Second, because Jesus is worshipped by the angels and does not worship them or anything else. Third, Jesus is the eternal king, and the angels are his subjects. Fourth, Jesus is the eternal creator, and the angels are his creation. And fifth, because Jesus is the ruler of and the angels are his servants. If you're not getting it, hopefully you will by the end of this book because it's very repetitive in the sense of Jesus is greater than anything else. He's going to kind of take it bit by bit. We're, we're looking at prophets. We're looking at angels. We're going to look at Moses. We're going to look at the high priest. We're going to look at Joshua. We're going to look at you know, the sacrificial system. We're going to look at the tabernacle. I mean, there's going to be all these specifics But the end is the same. Jesus is greater than anything else. And so hopefully if you haven't gotten it yet, you will get it by the time we're done. But you know what? That's why as a church, one of the things that motivate us that we want to get out and we want to be doing outreach We want to be sharing with people the greatness of Jesus. And the best way we can share how great Jesus is, is to share the message of the gospel. Because the message of the gospel is the greatest message of all, to declare how great Jesus actually is and what he has done for you and I on the cross. And so we have some outreach opportunities coming up. You know, this year has been a little crazy with COVID and different things, and it's kind of put some of the stuff that we wanted to do on hold, but now we're moving forward uh, with some outreach things that we want to just invite you guys to be a part of. Jaime is uh, one of our church's deacons, and he oversees our outreaches, uh, and so I'm going to have him come up and just share some opportunities that we would love you guys to be a part of and hopefully just be excited for uh, what the Lord's doing with uh, the church's outreach. So come on up, Jaime.